Hello, you're listening to the NeuroDescent Podcast. I'm Nick Suzzarello, and I'm a neurodivergent scholar, and with me is Molly Friesenborg. Hi, I'm Molly. I'm a nonprofit professional and not a demon professional, but happen to be married to this guy, so gonna hear what we have to talk about today. <laughs> you don't sound excited. I thought I did. I was going for exciting. Oh, okay. <laughs> I never quite know how to introduce myself. Like, it's not like, you know... <laughs> quite on brand in that sense. So mm. I'm always like, I don't know, who am I that's relative to any, irrelevant to anyone listening? So. so let's talk about some demons. I mean, that's what we've been talking about this season. So yeah, far. and I'm going to have to tell listeners, like, we did just get a puppy. And um, she's not going to sit still, but she also is not going to sit in any other room quietly. So if you hear a little background scratchy, scratchy. That's what she got. <laughs> <laughs> so this season, we have been discussing the history of demons exorcists and other similar phenomena um and you know why you might ask i thought this was a mental health podcast what in the world are you doing i ask it every week so i'm interested in exploring the possibility that things like exorcisms have important mental health contributions so what i'm suggesting is that ancient and even contemporary beliefs in demons are much more rational than some modern listeners want to believe yeah so it's like we react to that word demon and not the fact that all we're really saying is there's something going on with us that we need to change. Yeah, and maybe there's a metaphysical argument there about, you know, a thing called a demon. But I, I think potentially that's less crucial than... Than, uh, like, the ceremonies, the community support, and the, the people who are supporting folks going through those things. Right. And, and potentially even just the collective belief in these entities. Ah, uh, how we collectively, like view it as an external like if we collectively demon. believe that it's real then we behave and think speak and act in particular ways yeah but like that also really spoke to me though that like not only believe it's real as in like you know believe someone's struggling with mental health issues right right but it's different to say we believe that there's an external force acting upon you right exactly. and that really changes the framing of it right anyway um how would you summarize our first five episodes, Molly? I think less a summary, more the theme, if I reflect on the last episodes, right? Okay. Is that in what we were just talking about, right? Like, it's about how and whom you go to when you go in these struggles. Like, and that's where it's the mental health tie-in. Mm-hmm. I just keep coming back to, like, yeah. the, the religious part being, like, the tie-in. Because for centuries, like, religion was the main mental health, like... Right. component and that's really interesting and i think that like it kind of get gets lost in our current mental health conversation in the sense that like i mean we talk about like the decline of of folks attending church right and the rise of mental health problems but i don't know and i'm not even trying this is just me talking like to connect the two so much as saying like um i have been reflecting a lot lately on like how the, the churches serve that purpose and how do we form communities that serve that kind of purpose mm-hmm. that aren't necessarily um, singularly religious based. Yeah, well, I mean, I think I think that if we're thinking about Christian churches, then there's evidence to suggest both directions, right? Yeah, that they're both, absolutely. That they're the both... culprit and the... Yeah, and I, I think I was, I was hoping that we would get that from diving into Christianity a little bit more deeply because 
if we just listen to, say, what the Gospel of Mark says about Jesus Christ, then we don't get the whole story that clearly comes out. Well, Faye doesn't even want to hear the whole story. I know, right? Faye's like, this is supposed to be a summary, Molly. What random tangent did you go on? Um, but I think that's kind of where I am. And then skipping over towards um, uh, the high end. High end. Heian. Heian, yeah. Thank you. There you go. Um, the Heian time period we talked about, like, um, that was, I think, really interesting in how, again, you saw some of that community coming togetherness, and I don't know, I think, quite enough to know some of, like, the religious, you know, implications of that, as I am, you know, more knowledgeable about the Western culture and that, but um, very interesting. So I'm excited that we are going to talk about another... Um, Asian cultural aspect of this today because um, I think that really adds to that idea of like who do we go to for healthcare, you know? Yeah, so exactly. We are going to talk about thunder magic today. Yay! Um, and what do you think? Also, of can we just say like, does thunder magic not sound like the most exciting title so far? Well, I'm actually going to ask you, Molly, what do you think of when you hear thunder magic? Um, I mean, honestly, thunder magic, like that's what I think of. I don't like. Yes, like we're gonna. There's so thunder we, so we make clashing, thunder. and I'm making magic occur. So lightning, me. you're saying too? I mean, yeah, probably there's lightning. Honestly, I'm just yeah. thinking about the sound because I'm probably right. like, you know, I just stormed in the doors of somewhere. I think in this where the thunder's crashing behind <laughs> me and I'm doing magic. Yeah. So through my research of it, I've come to understand that thunder magic is perhaps less spectacular. That it oh, might seem at first. But, but my but, crashing through the doors with the thunder behind me magic right? time. I mean, I'm actually, I'm not going to say that that's not somewhat part of it in the sense that that's maybe part the part of the legends. Mm, um, okay. But uh, I'm going to hope, I'm, I hope to convince you that it's still kind of powerful. In its own so way. what I got from that is think less high fantasy and more like nature witchery. Yeah. Okay, so we're doing more of like a in tune with the earth. And ourselves. And, our, ooh, and, and the spirit worlds. Oh, okay, so there's there's a lot of, I'm starting to see our mental health tie-in. It's yes. a lot about being attuned with ourselves, too. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. let's go. All right, so thunder magic. What is this? Well, it's, it's... I don't think I need a sword anymore. Hold on, I need to put my props away. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm ready. Different zone. All right, so thunder magic is this English term that refers to a set of ritual practices uh, that originated um, in you know in and around what is today the People's Republic of China and um, it it started from much earlier things but what we're going to talk about is the time period of when it's really formalized it starts to be like written down and you know tied to particular religious sects and usually what we're talking about here are understood as today as Taoist um, sects but okay. although that's not necessarily a historically accurate label to place on them because they didn't necessarily think of themselves as that yeah, something people described later that we can yes. kind of retroactively think of okay right but um so when you say this is when it started to get formalized yeah like this is the Song Dynasty the time period we're talking about from 960 AD to 1279 AD okay um, and like how long this would like in theory 
Is this like a thousand-year-old tradition at this point? Is this a hundred-year-old tradition at this point? I think it's really hard to... Because it evolved out of a lot know, of things. Right, I think it's really hard to say when it actually starts. There are... What I've found in my research are clear there are people making arguments that this is sort of the predecessor to that, but I mean it could seemingly go back thousands of years. Okay, cool. So this the Song Dynasty is a time period when a you know the Song Empire ruled much of the eastern part of what we today know as the People's Republic of China. Okay. And um the and can that, you contextualize that time period for us at all? What's going on in the rest of the world? Well, oh, did around, I jump on your next sentence? Around that time period, Nick loves it when I do this. Around that time period would be our last episode. Heian, okay. the Heian period in Japan is roughly about the same time. I think we were we talked about folks who were around nine hundred to first a thousand are coming out. AD. Yeah, right. Um, and and in fact, you know, we know that China is a major influence on Japan from our last episode. Um, and we, you know, Europe is in its Middle Ages period. Um, remember, we talked about Marjorie Kemp, which is actually after this. That would be the 1300s and 1400s. Um, so this is, this is quite old. It's about a thousand years ago. All right, so let's talk about the, this formalization process. Um, Historian Florian Reiter uh, points to the Song Dynasty as the time period when thunder magic thrived and was formalized and recorded in previously unprecedented ways. So okay. we've got these documents from this time period when um, people were producing instructions on how to do thunder magic, essentially. And one of the biggest... I really want a how-to thunder magic booklet. Like, honestly, I'm not even <laughs> trying to open it, but just, like, having that cover sounds really fun. I mean, you can get them. <laughs> so one of the biggest contributors to the flourishing of Thunder Magic was a ritual master known as Wang Wenqing. I'm going okay. to talk about him a bit. Wang Wenqing served under em Emperor Huizong. And Huizong was emperor from 1100 to 1126 AD. And in 1126 AD, the emperor abdicated his throne on the advice of Wang Wenqing. Very so, influential man. I mean, you, you can see right there, Wang Wenqing was a powerful man. And he was powerful because of his thunder magic. Yeah. I'm now totally distracted and want to talk about the emperor, but trying to recenter. Okay. So... Um, Scholar of religion, Carmen Minor writes, For a short moment in history, our ritual master, Wang Wenqing, stood at center stage of the Song Empire and was able to have his expression of the thunder rite exorcistic rituals promoted through imperial patronage. Mm. Moreover, Wang's close interaction with the secular administration demonstrates his intermediary position between the profane and the transcendent spheres of reality. Yeah, so he sits at like the center of life on earth or governance of life on earth and also the bureaucracy of the heavens. I, I, you don't hear a lot about the bureaucracy of the heavens in particular. You do when you uh, look into religious or philosophical texts in 
Asia, actually. Huh. They want to really think about how heavens run. Like, yeah, I found a lot. I found a lot of information about. Wow, uh, that's really how... culturally fascinating. <laughs> it was like yeah. I would love to. I, I wow, that's really interesting. I'm like I need to learn more about like culturally how that like how people think of and yeah. that. That sounds cool. So that historian I mentioned, Florian Reiter, he has a translation of a biography of Wang Wenqing that was written a couple of centuries after Wang Wenqing died. Okay. Um, and according to this story, Wang was born in 1093 AD. His family lived in the Jiangxi province, which is today in Eastern People's Republic of China. And the story describes Wang as a bright boy who writes and says profound things that impress his father. And here's how Wang Wenqing's father is described in the story. Okay. This is the father. His will was purely set on cultivating an unadorned way of life. He did not strive for fame and material profit, but kept himself away from the bustle and toil of the world. He always took pleasure in most extensive travels to reach magic regions and superb places. Following toilsome paths clad in cloth and equipped with a bamboo walking stick, he roamed afar throughout the world. This is... The father. This is the father who seems to be coming from an almost like ascetic, you know, yeah, we like very minimalist, the, like right. We talked about Saint Jerome and yeah. asceticism. Um, yeah, he like seems, not quite. I don't, I didn't quite hear self flagellation in that, but definitely <laughs> a very like keep yes. your life as simple and focused as possible. And you know, I think that that message comes out in other writings from this time period from these, these same figures, right? They're mm -hmm. They're going to argue for the cultivation of a good life, and, and often part of that is not ha being excessively materialistic. Interesting. Okay, very cool. So this is who he's being raised by. Right. So one day, Wang Wenqing tells his father about this dream he had, and in the dream, a huge python was laying on the ground, and before he could step on its head, the snake rose up into the sky above. So his father takes this as a sign that his son is ready to carry on his own spiritual path. So presumably hmm. he teaches his son his ways and Wang Wenqing begins his own wandering philosophical life. Okay, so you are no longer just the child. You are now the young pilgrim mm -hmm. kind of thing. And off on his own, he encounters a stranger near the Yangtze River and the stranger trusted Wang Wenqing with methods to communicate with the god emperors above. Ooh. And he also gave him documents which were used to shout out orders for wind and thunder. So here comes the bureaucracy of the heavens. Right. Well, he's, and it's like you have to like appeal with the right, like report to the right emperor. Exactly. Uh, so this is fun. So okay. Very, so very much that. Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> Okay. So, like, someone who's a really good project manager and, like, knows all, like, the fine print of, like, who gets what form could be a good Thunder Magicker. I mean, Thunder Magic can be quite uh, meticulous and require quite a bit of, like, organizational abilities to actually do it. You know, I could, I could definitely see that. Um can and, do do people also like specialize in that then? Like they only speak to one emperor god and like sure, one yeah. like 
path of thunder magic. Yeah, that's exactly the kinds of things that we're talking about, okay. right? You, there is there is this heaven or mm-hmm. or the the heavens where god god emperors deities whatever however we're going to translate these things into english um and and people and like appeal for god people appeal they, like... or, or petition them yeah is what we'll see here in a moment okay anyway back, back to the story so he gets these documents which were used to shout out orders for wind and thunder and you know he, he starts to use these things to great effect these tools that he's been given and so he gains great power. So let me read again from Florian Ryder's translation. Um, Wang Wenqing always picked the right time in order to send off petitions, mm. to visit the god emperors in silent meditation, to summon thunders, to pray for rain, to drive away or call in wind and clouds. When it had rained a long time, he prayed for a clear sky, and the sky cleared up immediately. When in deep winter, he prayed for snow, Snow crystals emerged, drifting in the void. Eventually, when evil spirits caused harm again amongst people, he dis- he dispatched divine generals in order to chase and control the spirits. He effected complete pacification all around. He never made much ado and did not celebrate with verses and wine. Interesting. Okay, so I'm not going to lie. Back to the original, what do you think of Thunder Magic? Mm-hmm. I still imagine this guy kind of storming in places and, like, shouting these petitions but it yeah. sounds like it's more of a silent meditation kind of thing well but i mean at the same time he is controlling yes the but weather, like so you are not... like watching him like let it snow or you know what i mean oh like yeah, <laughs> yeah he's probably <laughs> he's not sitting there silently there's not lightning coming out of his hand meditating no. right is the like and actual ritual and there's been it. quite a bit of preparation before any of this happens right he's cre- he's crafted his petitions and things to bring to it I'm just, seriously though my new version of what is thunder magic is let it snow let it snow. <laughs> let it lightning <laughs> let it thunder down all around okay this is probably culturally inappropriate i'm gonna stop now the other thing i heard in that reading yeah in addition to reimagining my silent meditative version of thunder magic is he always picked the right time yeah and so I'm starting to get that theme too of where that bureaucracy part comes in, right? Mm-hmm. Is like also like you have to catch God in a good mood. Well, and you have to have a relationship with these people in order for the magic to work, right? See, these so deities. you go ask Boss because Boss ain't gonna listen to me. Cause Absolutely, didn't get along on that project. I yesterday. mean, we're finding out that the gods really do respond to Wang Wenqing, but they definitely wouldn't respond to me. Interesting. That's um, quite the godly barrier. So here's another uh, translation. A younger brother of the emperor, acting as investigation commissioner, made a tour of patrol and reached the commandary Caillou, where he fell ill. So the brother is out on official business and he gets sick. There was not any medical help available for him that would have been effective. Then he met the gentleman, Wang Wenqing, and asked for amulet water. Amulet water, or, or as I've heard it called foo water, is uh, a type of cure that was used, and it, it involves. Was it like, like often stored? They had it on hand in an amulet. That... Well, no, it's it's amulets are not necessarily jewelry. Um, they are well, they're they're meant to be worn often, but they're not necessarily like made of gold, gold or something. It might just be like a piece of paper. 
Oh, I was uh, actually thinking like a glass vial kind of thing. So it's often like a piece of paper has been like put inside of water, but the the piece of paper has like pre-blessed. It's some it's it's got some symbol drawn on it that you know is the petition like oh you know health or something might is might be on the, the thing. So when you're meditating, it's like you're stocking your game satchel kind of thing of like you're preparing all the items to use out on your quest potentially yeah okay um okay so the emperor's brother meets wang wenqing and asks for this water and he gets it from him and his illness is cured so the gentleman first concealed his name until he would insistently was being asked to reveal himself and so it was known that he was wang wenqing Having returned to the court, the investigation commissioner, the brother, first of all made a memorial about the extraordinary event of this encounter with the immortal, which is Ooh. which is telling us a little bit about this group of uh, religious figures in China at this time. That, you know, we're often talking about this as Taoism now, but they were very interested in immortality. Okay. Um, so in order, you know, to be called immortal was... Was less literal and more the highest compliment? Is that what you mean? It's, it's hard to really say because, you know, these are ancient texts and potentially just okay. legends. But, you know... What you're saying, this isn't clear as day back then. No, it's, it's not clear as day what, what this means exactly. But, but yes, I think we can think of it as immortalized in the heavens, like... Because, as we'll see later, Wang Wenqing has been immortalized in the, in the heavens. I see. Okay. Um, so, so word gets back to the emperor that Wang Wenqing is a great healer. And so the emperor summoned him to be a ritual master in the imperial court. So this is the beginning of them working together. And the biography tells us that the emperor gave Wang all kinds of lavish gifts, but Wong simply refused to accept any of them. He's got that kind of yep. asceticism streak to him. So later in the biography, we learn that the emperor asked Wang Wenqing whether there were evil spirits in his palace. And he confirmed that there was an evil spirit in the southeastern corner of the palace. Oh, very specific. Yes, very specific. Um, according to the biography, in order to get rid of it, Wong wrote out a sealing talisman. Uh, so this this talisman that would allow him to seal off the ah. to capture and and whatever this spirit. I first read it as like sealing with a C. And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, very specific again. Okay, right. <laughs> so he had someone place the talisman on the surface of the water near the rear palace gate. Okay. So again, we're seeing this like crafting this mm -hmm. talisman or using our elements um, and and then putting it into the water. And Wang explained to the emperor. In your mind, you await the after-effects of this procedure. So there's nothing fantastical that happens the moment the, you know, he goes in there. Yeah. Now he just waits. So the emperor also was waiting for someone to storm in, shouting for thunder. I am possibly to be told to like, all right, chill, dude. I know it's called thunder it's magic. More like a but... mousetrap kind of thing. So someone announced that the talisman had been absorbed into the water, and Wang Wenqing then told the emperor. After some time, thunder shall clap, but his majesty must not be frightened. So this is going to be the, the sound of the thunder, and the, that's the you know, magical appeal being answered by the gods. 
I want so badly for you to insert thunder sound effects, but that's, again, probably not in the spirit of things. <laughs> so after an undisclosed amount of time, a bolt of lightning <laughs> split the cinnamon tree near the southeastern corner of the palace. Y'all, Nick doing sound effects really should be on video. <laughs> Alright, so the lightning bolt killed one big python by splitting it into two. The biography states, the emperor showed excessive happiness. That's exciting. Yeah, I mean, that is literally fun. Like, yes. controlling the thunder and lightning, right? Came right down and took out that evil spirit made flesh. Yeah, so let me tell you another time that uh, Wang Wenqing impressed the emperor. Um, one of his first tasks was to get rid of an infestation of fox demons. Okay. So I'm seeing a lot of the, the the bad spirits are in the physical form of animals. Is that... I'm not sure I'm seeing a lot of it, but... Okay, well, there was only this... two. There was python and foxes, so... Oh, I think that was a literal python. Okay, cool. Well, I was, I guess, as I was saying, Although... are these literal foxes that we're about to kill is what I was expecting. That the I, demons I don't think were so. in foxes. I think these okay. are... I'm not entirely sure what the they're details. what they're supposed to be, to be honest with you. Um, so one of his first tasks was to get rid of this infestation of, of fox demons. Based on the way he gets rid of them, I don't think there's any like actual killing of, right. of physical fox bodies. Um, anyway, <laughs> no foxes were harmed in the making of this. Pythons? Mm. Right. Um, so these foxes were reportedly stealing things like dishes, tools, and jewels. Did I say these pythons? I meant to say these foxes. I don't know. I was too busy imagining actual fox demons like running through the rooms and stealing them, and it was really fun. <laughs> these foxes were reportedly stealing things like dishes, tools, and jewels. And they were causing people to get turned around and lost in the palace. So Wang... they were so cute, they kept getting followed. <laughs> Maybe. So Wang Wenqing had an altar set up, and he performed a thunder ritual. He was so successful that the emperor decided to build a temple and other buildings on that very spot, dedicated to Wang Wenqing with a sign that read, Department of the Lord of Destiny. Ooh, that is a good title! That is an awesome title, isn't it? Holy mackerel! So he told Wang that he should come to the temple every few days to lead prayers and make offerings. So this is basically his new office. He's the... Wow, so he very quickly went from like... A wanderer helping a dude he found with a healing thing to like a massive department head in the government. Head of the department of the, I guess he is the Lord of Destiny, right? I mean, like, this literal is literal Lord this of is Destiny. His department. It's quite the <laughs> bureaucracy here in heaven on earth, heaven and earth. All right, so later, later in the in the biography, um, the emperor is told that there's a drought in Yangzhou, and he asks Wang Wenqing to intervene. And Wenqing asked for someone to bring him a sword, water, and a basin. And he's finally a sword. He drank some water, spit it out, and said this prayer: "The emperor of the Great Song orders me to pray for rain. Rain must fall heavily and steadily, and wind must blow strong enough to bend trees." In Yangzhou, within 1,000 miles around, a soaking rain must fall everywhere to quench the need for water. Borrow three units of water from the Yellow River. The units are... What? Chi. I'm not really sure. 
yeah, it's a very specific command. Bar borrow three large amounts of water from the Yellow River. Act most urgently, as this order says. All right, the, you really got me with borrow for three units of water. Now I'm like, wow, this is very... It's very specific. So it offices from the, the surrounding regions reported back a few days later that rain had come, happily. They also reported that the rain was yellow and cloudy. And the, it's the rain in the Yellow River. Yellow yes, River. exactly. So the Emperor asked Wang Wingqing why the rain was yellow and cloudy, and Wang explained that the God Emperors had attempted to use water from other rivers, but that they didn't have any available water, only the Yellow River could be used. So, hence the yellow, cloudy water. And according to the biography, the Emperor was delighted with this explanation and said, Divine indeed. Divine indeed. Divine indeed, yes. So... So far, I'm. This is very fascinating, um, and I'm very much enjoying the department of the Lord of Divine, <laughs> um, Lord of Destiny. Dang, just can't get it right. In the year 1126, Wang Wenqing sent a message to the gods on behalf of the emperor, asking what he should do. Apparently, the gods told Wang Wenqing that the emperor should resign, and Wang didn't want to deliver the message to the emperor, but he did so anyway while sobbing and weeping. And the emperor took this very seriously. He resigned from the throne and took up the title Emperor Ruler of the Teachings and Lord of Tao. Oh, okay. First of all, shocked. Second of all, why? Why would he do that? Why would he? Well, like, why was. Gay? Why do we even really understand why the gods were like, no, you're done, other than he wouldn't let him go into his family? It was Are a we making a causal connection of there? I mean, this this is a time of you know, we're not war connecting those two events. and famine. I, I haven't really contextualized it to, for you, okay. um, well. But yes, I mean, he was he's, being a he's bad under emperor. Pressure. That I really don't know. Um, okay. All I know for sure is that he he was under pressure, military pressure in particular. Okay. Uh, well, I have quite the dramatization of like what telling the emperor to resign via the gods while sobbing and weeping looks like. Well, go ahead and do it. Very intense. No, thank you. You said um, you had it. Let's I know, it. I'm saying it in my head. I'm like, <laughs> it's playing in there, the movie. Um, wow. But then also, okay, so he resigned, but that was quite the next title he gave himself. Can you explain? So he, he, he resigned as the emperor of the mundane world the and it took up a position in the heavens oh right? so or wait wait did the gods give him a promotion i guess so i mean the gods are actually like resign here buddy because you are now because you can you now, went from yeah. state to federal like positions you know kind of in retrospect you know you went from the local government to the higher government i mean i think that's kind of how one can see it for interesting. sure interesting yeah so in, me a while to get there. in the year 1153 AD, uh, according to that biography that, that I've been telling you about, uh, Wang Wenqing said goodbye to his friends and wrote an ode for his casket. Here's what that ode said, or here's Florian Ryder's translation. This my body is illusionary, and the, the pine planks of my coffin are not real. They are a secure cage in the eyes of common folks, but I escape the red dust of the world. 
So he then went into hiding at the hall for refining the elixir. So the elixir being the elixir of immortality. And then one thunderclap was heard and he transformed or died, however you want to look at it. Fascinating. And so he remains so within he this tradition. Too got a promotion. Yes, yes. So, <laughs> so, so within this tradition, um, he's transformed and joins the ranks of the gods, particularly as a thunder god or a thunder general. So the next thunder practitioners can appeal directly to him. Absolutely. So in another article, historian Florian Ryder notes that a couple hundred years after his death, Wang Wenqing is deified in this ritual instruction manual that Florian Ryder looks at. And in that text, users of thunder magic were told to appeal to Wang Wenqing to help strengthen their magic. So it's kind of saint-like in its how it functions religiously Absolutely. Speaking. I mean, I think there's lots of par parallels there. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so now that I've given you this this brief introduction to the, the history and legends... <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was pretty brief. Um, so now that I've given you this semi-brief introduction... <laughs> <laughs> I want to I want to talk specifically about how thunder magic is used. Yay! In the case of possession by a spirit or demon. Okay. So we've been talking about this in other episodes. For example, in episode two, we talked about how Jesus Christ exercised demons through radical love, and in episode five, we talked about an approach um, from J Japan's Heian period in which the possessing spirit was forced out of the person and into a medium who then spoke on behalf of that. spirit of the spirit thunder magic is a different approach also exorcism via iron willed meanness hilarion <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes we also saw that um so uh so in order to talk about thunder magic and exorcism i'm going to do something a little bit different than what we've done in past episodes i'm going to introduce you to a contemporary thunder magic master Ooh, yay! Okay, so his his name is G. Sifu. Okay. And he happens to have his own podcast called The Taoist Magic Talk Show. Okay. Um, and G. Sifu Check is... Check it out. Right. G. Sifu is part of the Tinyat Dragon Temple. And he tells us that he and his school or lineage specialize in exorcism and spiritual healing. Okay. So we're going to talk about the common one, um, but we are thinking this is it, at least you know some evolved form of generally the same kind of ritualistic ways of exercising yeah i mean he's he is part of this tradition that has cool. been handed down for centuries and has a long rich history that sounds really cool yeah so um Definitely. what's his podcast name again the taoist magic talk show very cool um so he has a number of so i i've watched it I watched it on YouTube. I think mm -hmm. you can also find it on other platforms. But um, so he has this series of videos on YouTube uh, about Taoist exorcism. And in one of these videos, Sifu explains his views on spirits. So he says that spirits are forms of energy. They are inherently harmful, okay. though they lack power. Okay. So, so the danger is giving them power? I'm extrapolating. Well, the, Continue. the danger is more that they would 
be left on, that they would multiply or something and be left unchecked or something. So, in fact, according to G. Sifu, most of the time we're protected from evil spirits by our own energy fields that we naturally emit. Okay. Um, so this view of spirits is different from the other traditions that we've talked about so far. Um, specifically, Sifu says there's no reason to argue or negotiate with spirits. Okay, so very much unlike the Heian version where we needed to hear them out and also treat the demon. Right. Not or, at all. Or Hilarion fighting with the demon, you know, talking to him, saying, hey, you, um, that doesn't make yeah. any sense, according to Sifu. In fact, he, he laughs at it. In his and we're thinking, I think that inherently calls them less, like, sentient and more just like, you know, like, right, yeah. like they're more animalistic, just, you know, they're going like, to eat you things you have to fight off. More like viruses, perhaps, mm, right? Okay. I mean, they, they don't have, they're not really acting on anything other than their, their one mission to replicate themselves or... Got it. In the stories from the the Christian tradition we talked about in episodes two and three, Jesus Christ or Saint Hilarion argued or fought with demons. According to Taoist master Ji Sifu, this this approach to spirits is misguided. Spirits should simply be expelled. In addition, Sifu agrees disagrees with the use of mediums in exorcisms. So he says it's useless and dangerous to let spirits possess you. I'm not gonna lie, that was kind of my feeling during a lot of the Aeon things. I'm like, I would like more assurance you're treating these mediums well. But... Well, so he would probably not see that as a particularly good way of going about things. Um, so this leads to a nuanced view of possession also. So in Jisifu's view, possession doesn't mean a total loss of control. It means that the spirit... It doesn't mean that the spirit or demon suddenly takes control and now speaks through us. Rather, the spirits begin to affect us in ways that really sound a lot like mental health symptoms. It's more like that virus, like, analogy version of, like, it starts to impact you. It doesn't just, like, right. day so, one take you over. Some of the, the maybe early signs of possession include things like fatigue, hopelessness, an unpleasant mood, feeling pressure or anxiety, so, you know, we have the onset of some kind of mental health episode, right? Mm -hmm. A depression or panic attacks, perhaps. I heard you uh, two say the, um, that your, your energy, like, generally protects you from these. So is it kind of thought that the, they exploit weakness? Yes, yes, absolutely. Okay. So kind of like, the more one demon gets in, the more that barrier and, like, mm -hmm. aka hopelessness. The more you're worn the, down in some way, whether yeah. it's physically or emotionally. Um, so as the possession becomes... And then if you don't expel those demons, they multiply. Yes, and if the, if the possession becomes more advanced, more and more of your senses and faculties come under the influence of the spirits. And so this is why you start to see or hear things that other people don't. This includes things like hearing meanings that other people don't intend, perhaps, Ooh, or that other people don't hear. Yeah. Um, like, for example, you know, if your friend... The every time Nick sighs and I'm like, why? <laughs> when I'm when I'm trying to work on my heavy breathing and, and it makes you <laughs> crazy. Yeah, that. I'm like, what's wrong? What's wrong? <laughs> I'm just trying to exhale. <laughs> um, so as it gets worse, 
these, you know, could even become hallucinations as the spirits take on more and more control over your, your senses and your cognition. So Sifu also describes how as the possession becomes more advanced, you start to have a feeling of dissociation, like you're no longer fully in control of what you're doing or what's happening to you. Mm, interesting. Yeah. So very parallel to a lot of diagnoses and Absolutely. symptoms we would talk about of, you know, the spectrum from depression up through schizophrenia and mm -hmm. the disassociation, all those pieces are very similar to how this is being attributed to spirit negatives. Well, just spirits because all of them are negative. Right. So let's, let's say you are possessed by spirits. Um, with thunder magic, you have actually a lot of options for dealing with a spirit possession. Um, but I, I'm going to say there's like two general approaches. One is that you can try to use thunder magic on yourself and expel the spirits yourself. Um, or you can call on some kind of ritual master to perform uh, an exorcism on you. Okay. And for example, if you watch or listen to G. Sifu, he will... I, he invites listeners and viewers to contact him in the event of a spiritual emergency so that he can perform rituals over video call. Wow, very cool. Yeah. So then are we going to talk about what that actual ritual would look like? Yep, we are. Um, so some practitioners of Taoism still use thunder magic. And I wanted to play for you a, a description of um, thunder magic by a content and content creator and writer named Benabel Lamb. Okay. Um, she's done a lot of interesting videos and, and content on Taoist magic. And in her video, Wen explains that thunder magic involves both following highly intricate rituals, as well as taking the time to cultivate relationships with the appropriate deities. So in this clip, she talks about Leifa, and that's Chinese word for thunder magic or thunder okay. rites. So I'm going to play this for you. There's typically a lot of ceremonial bells and whistles involved. This is how you pace through the Big Dipper or Luo Su magic square during ritual. This is how you do hand mudras. This is how you use the bakwa, what you gotta wear, how you gotta speak, astrology, alchemy, numerology, meditation, summonings, petitions, mantras, scriptures, blah, blah, and blah. Leifa is really not for the lazy witch, but it's pretty badass. So if you endure the often strenuous cultivation process, you'll find that it's not just about craft, but life it really fortifies you with the powers to conquer life's challenges what did that just say it's not for the lazy witch it's not for the lazy witch yeah. <laughs> that is um a great description it is um, <laughs> <laughs> but i i get that so like i that's where you would say some of a lot of the mental health piece comes in is mm. it like it it forces a lot of discipline and self-reflection meditation yeah, I mean, mindfulness things. We I do. think especially if you're the one trying to do do your own magic, then mm, especially mm -hmm. you're going through those cultivation practices. I'm not sure that G. Sifu would just accept you as a uh, practitioner, patient, or something if you weren't also going to try to you know, ah. become part. You know, 
he's so going to try to do some of your own work in that. He's probably going to heal you by doing your own work in in these areas, right? Interesting. Yeah. Um, okay, so it's not just that you have to follow these intricate rituals, right? You also have to have a relationship with the gods that you're appealing to. If the gods don't know you or don't like you, then your thunder magic will have no power. So, for example, if you want to ask Wang Wenqing, Thunder God, to drop some thunder magic for you, you have to be friends with him first, and you do that through spiritual learning, meditation, and other cultivation techniques. This is the essence of Thunder God, or this is the essence of thunder magic, petitioning the gods to assist the user in some way. Whether, how, and to what extent your petition is granted has a lot to do with both your mastery of the ritual craft and also your relationship with the gods. So thunder magic involves asking the gods to do something, and the practitioner is going to send instructions through chants, talismans, hand signs, and other things. Um, so we're going to talk about this process of petitioning the gods. And one way that you do this is through incantations or spells or chants. And I want to play for you a recording of G Sifu, a real live Taoist master, um, doing a spell. So the spell Sifu is going to do is called the Golden Light Spell. And according to Sifu, this spell works by focusing or concentrating your light energy into a tight beam. And this has many possible uses, and one of that those uses is exorcism. So here's what it says on the Tinyat Dragon website. If an evil spirit possesses someone, you can blast the golden light at them, and the evils would be immediately forced out of the body. Golden light shielding this person would also prevent the evils from returning. Oh, okay. So, let us listen to Jisifu. Some note how the golden light burns and burns it always bright. Magic power the sky and crown through the rhythms and goes to me. From that all the heavens see something above blessings down radiate over my crown. Ghosts will fear and evil's gone. Thunder comes and lightning strike. Cook my heart and make it strong. Brave and bold, I'm knowing me. Some know how the God I see. All devils, here I go. Crush you to dust and out I blow. You and more, here you go. Burn and rose out I throw. Some know how good and I. Oh, is bright, big and bold. Give, give me you and what you got. Wow. Wow, it's interesting how, like, literal it is in that sense. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, it's... it's I'm just going to say it, like, it's both, about a light. It's, it's both literal. I mean, but it's also not in the yeah. sense that it's... It's talking about things like a, a river that flows through you, which mm -hmm. is, you know, presumably not a literal river, but a channel of energy or something. 
Yeah, which which I mean, I think it takes awareness of your own body. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and it does sound like a lot of like you know, it has that kind of like repetitive like, um, you know, soothing yeah. quality to it. Yeah, it gets it helps you like focus on yourself and all this. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Get you to and focus. describe that well, but get you to focus on different parts of your body. Envision that. Envision that uh, river flowing through your body. Um, now I want to get dig deep into the you know the mental health implications of the thunder magic. Um, so I think there are at least two types of benefits, and in our other episodes we talked about the benefits to a person who's being acted on um, by a priest or exorcist or someone powerful. So for example, if the, in this case, a master like Ji Sifu might use thunder magic to exercise spirits from someone else, someone like me. Um, but what I found most interesting about thunder magic was the range of mental health benefits it seems to have for the person who's practicing thunder magic. Um, so the cultivation necessary to like understand and do thunder magic requires a person to engage in a lot of meditation and visualization and, and self-learning. So we can think of preparing our magic as fortifying ourselves mentally and emotionally for struggles that we might face. So thinking about those struggles, visualizing ourselves accomplishing our goals mm-hmm. with the helps of the gods that we've built relationships with. And... One of the things I found especially interesting was when I heard G. Sifu talk about children's imaginary friends and the relationships they've developed with them. Ooh, interesting. G. Sifu says that children's imaginary friends are gods. And they may very well help them do things they couldn't do on their own. And that's what gods do. That is the coolest description of childhood imaginary friends I've ever heard. Isn't it? So, a child... Oh, and, like, it speaks to what you were saying, too, about, like, the relationship and the power, right? Like, how powerful in a kid's imagination... In however we want to describe it, the metaphysical nature of this, but, like, the importance of relationships what you pour into it, right? Like, right. that imaginary friend is more present in the whole family's life, the more that kid pours into like having that that's interesting that's just like that really um i think it's a fun way of putting into context all of these relationships we've been talking about yeah i think so i mean like and and i really love the way that you know he makes it you know a child who creates an imaginary friend has made themselves a stronger person yeah their relationship with this often because they're you know working through loneliness or boredom or (laughs) well and so just processing out they've done something magical Wow. All right. I need to go invest in some imaginary friends, I feel like. Like, that's pretty wonderful. Yeah. All right. So, that's all we have for this episode. Uh, like, like, I think, like, literally, let's all, let's, let's all go work on some imaginary friends as mental health care. Absolutely. It's a lot cheaper than therapy and sounds way more fun. <laughs> no drop-dead friends allowed. They're troublemakers. You can appeal to Long Wen Ching if you'd like. So uh, look out for our next episode in this season. In episode seven, we will reflect on these first six episodes, and we're going to think about the connections between our sense of wonder and our ability to handle mental health struggles collectively as a community. 
until then, you can check out our website, narrowdescent.com, where you can find uh, source material from our talk today. Uh, until next time, enjoy your imaginary friend. Bye, everybody.